So run that you may obtain. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. St. Paul, in today's epistle, is speaking to the Corinthians and is making the point that their being called Christians is not enough for their salvation. If they would be saved, he says, they must also work arduously to gain their crowns. You must understand this about the Corinthians. They were people who loved to be entertained, particularly by sports in the arena. They loved them. Every three years, they would go to a little town outside, nine miles outside of Corinth, where the games were kept, and they would watch all of the competitions with much enthusiasm. And so he points to that and draws an analogy. He says, the mere entrance into that arena was not sufficient to gain the material crown. So the bare fact of one's being a member of the church is not sufficient to win the prize of eternal life. Rather, we must so strive for the victory as to overcome and defeat our spiritual adversaries. This epistle made me think of athletes. And I wanted to be sure that I had a correct definition of athlete for the sermon. It didn't really fit in, but so I went on to research more English grammar, synonyms and antonyms. The synonyms that came up among many of athlete are contender, challenger, or my favorite, champion. And the antonym is spectator, one who watches and does nothing. This then made me think of my childhood days. I was very much into sports, my favorite sport being basketball, and I really liked to watch one player in particular, Michael Jordan. Bear with me as I preach even on this subject, but you'll see the point later. And looking back, though, and thinking about the reasons I really liked him out of all the other players was his hard work, his determination, the fact that he would overcome any obstacle. If somebody said he couldn't do something, he'd go out the next night and do it. When he was practically beaten up as a younger player on the court, he then decided to get stronger when they told him he could not shoot three-pointers, he went out the very next game and set a record of the most three-pointers in a playoff game. Then when they said he was too old and couldn't score anymore, he was already at 40 years old, he went out the next game and he scored 40 points, the first 40-plus-year-old player to ever do so. He had determination. He had his goals and his focus. And that, I think, on the natural level, is what attracted me to him. But enough of the sport analogy. I'll end with this 
point about Michael Jordan. Did you know that he was actually born and raised a Novus Ordo Catholic? I didn't until recently. Well, he, even when he was a professional athlete, he would go back to his hometown in North Carolina and attend the Novus Ordo services there. But he noticed that on occasion the pastor would call attention from the pulpit to the fact that Michael Jordan was there in the pews and all the laity would turn around and gawk. Well, Michael admitted at some point that he actually decided not to, to return to church. And the reason he gave was that they paid more attention to him than they did to God. Right there you have it right from the mouth of an athlete. Isn't this the whole American culture of sports? We pay more attention to sports, Super Bowls, and, and all of the rest than we do to our own God. What a sad thing. Those men, these athletes, they are not, they cannot be our heroes nor our role models because they do everything for a crown that is incorruptible, and the means to arrive at that crown is all pride and strife. Everything that the Catholic Church would condemn as vice. Our true heroes are the martyrs. They say that the age of the martyrs was a time of war, strife, struggle. And it was all for an incorruptible crown. Those men and women, little boys and girls even, were no mere spectators. For our Lord, gave, they did for our Lord, they gave up everything that hindered them in the race to heaven. Their death in the arena was no defeat because <clears throat> they were not fighting emperors and kings mere men. They were contending against spiritual powers, the devil and all of hell. Keep the faith in Christ and die, they were told, or betray Christ and live. Many writers have regarded the martyrs as passive, speechless victims of persecution, a little bit weak. But in reality, they are God's warriors who fight the devil and achieve victory in death. And so they are called, they are given this term, athletes or champions of Christ. They fought through a great struggle, as all athletes do. They persevered, as athletes do, and they won the crown. Today, we have such an athlete, a martyr. Not St. Agatha, though it is her feast day too, but I'm thinking of St. Philip of Jesus, the first saint of Mexico, though he actually died in Japan. He was born to very pious parents, though he was careless. He himself was careless in the practice of his faith, and he showed little care about it. But somehow he ended up resolving that he would enter the Franciscans, 
he still kept a bit of the worldliness that was in him and he found it boring, so he left the Franciscans, much to the disappointment of his father. So then he was sent by his father on a business trip to the Philippines, and there Philip tried to satisfy himself by earthly pleasures, but he found that they never filled his heart. He was always unhappy. There was something in the back of his mind and at the bottom of his heart telling him that he should go back to the religious life and that is where he would find his happiness. So he turned to prayer and that's where he found his peace and then from prayer came action and he entered the Franciscans again. A few years later he received the orders from his superiors that he should go back to Mexico to be ordained a priest. But while he was on the ship, there was a great storm, and it drove his ship to the coast of Japan instead, where it wrecked on the coastline. Now, they landed there at a time when there was a persecution in Japan against the Christians, but it wasn't a bloody one. The mass and the public profession of your faith was forbidden, but if you did it, they didn't really, this, the governor didn't really go after you. But when the governor found on this ship that there was a cannon and ammunition, he became suspicious of the martyrs. And so he waged an open persecution against Christians. He went to the monastery, he arrested St. Philip along with 25 other men, some of them in their teenage years, and they were to become martyred. So the enemies took them to Nagasaki, and there was a hill on, upon which were laid down on the ground 26 or better crosses. It was a sort of Mount Calvary in Japan. Well, as they were being taken to their cross, their left ear would be cut off. St. Philip offered that first shedding of blood for the salvation of the country of Japan. Well, when he knelt down before his cross, he didn't have a very natural perspective on this. It was so very supernatural. Many of us would think, if only the ship had not crashed. But St. Philip, he was filled with the Holy Ghost and he said, O happy ship which was lost for my gain, loss, no loss for me, but the greatest of all gain. He was then bounded to the cross, the 25 other men were too, and all at the same time they lifted up the cross and it fell into the ground. Meanwhile there was they, they were attached to the cross at the neck, sort of a collar, an iron collar that held their heads up. Only the cross on St. Philip's didn't work properly. The foot, the foot rest, like you see here on the bottom where our Lord's feet are, it broke and left St. Philip hanging by the iron collar. He was being strangled to death. And finally, they took two spears 
one on each side, and pierced his heart until they came up through the soldiers, the, the shoulders in the shape of an X. He is a martyr for Christ and a saint for Mexico. My dear people, the next time you decide to turn on the television to watch sports or to pull up videos on social media of your favorite athlete, remember that the athletes in today's sports are not our heroes and that you are not called to be a spectator. You have been called to the church where your forebears are the true athletes of Christ, champions of his divinity, who dedicated their entire life and even their death and gave all to win a crown that never rots. Let me ask you something. Think about it, too. Not only today, but the rest of the week. I'm going to first, before I ask the question, assume that none of you are spectators, just they're watching. You're all of you athletes. Whose athlete, whose champion are you? Are you an athlete for the world who spends all of his time and energy trying to please himself and the world? Or are you Christ's athlete who gets rid of anything that hinders the supernatural life of grace in the soul? Whose athlete are you? An athlete of Christ, what does it entail? Well, just as for every athlete, they must have a passion for what they do, the game that they play. So we must have a passion for God, a love that never dies, but that keeps growing. Just as the best of the athletes have a, de a determination that causes them to fight through obstacles, so we must have a supernatural determination, the gift of fortitude to fight through obstacles. Athletes have endurance that helps them to persevere through pain. For you and I, this is the supernatural fruit, virtue of long-suffering and patience. They say that athletes have the mentality of a beast when it comes to their sport. All their focus is on that sport. And so, if you are an athlete of Christ, you must have that focus, which is your why, which forces you and motivates you to go on. And this is the gift of wisdom and the virtue of faith. Let me ask you one more time. Whose athlete, whose champion are you? May God bless you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.